if you asked me before I read the report, I said it would have taken 45 minutes to get an airway. Just because you have an ASD course doesn't mean you're going to know what to do after you bury your friend. Like, you still have things to do there. You are tuned in to another episode of the Avalanche Hour podcast. I'm your Canadian correspondent, Wes Gregg. I'm excited to be contributing to every third Thursday of the podcast. The Avalanche Hour is proudly presented by MND Safety, a global leader in avalanche hazard management. And our good friends at Ten Barrel Brewing, drink beer outside, with additional support from Interwest Insurance. The goal of this podcast is to create a stronger community through the sharing of stories, knowledge, and news amongst people who have a curious fascination with avalanches. In this episode, we're excited to announce a little promo and contest from Primo Snow and Avalanche. Need a new snow saw? Primo Snow and Avalanche has been producing the El Professional Snow Saw. Matt Promono hand sharpens these things in the little Bavarian Washington town of Leavenworth. You can grab a new snow saw from primosnowavalanche.com. Use the code TAH10 at checkout for 10% off. We're also giving away four of these saws throughout the season. For the first draw, email us a screenshot to the Avalanche Hour Podcast at gmail.com of your podcast subscription. If you haven't subscribed, this is a great time to do so. Great time to tell a friend. We'll draw the first winner and announce it during Matt's interview that will air on January 5th. The El Professional cuts straight and is lightweight. In this episode, I interview an aspiring ACMG guide based out of Revelstoke, British Columbia, Kyle Lamont. This ex-park rat, 9-to-5-er, turned ski mountaineer and I talk about the importance of sharing information with the forecast centers, training, and his challenging path to becoming an ACMG certified guide. Enjoy my conversation with Kyle Lamont. Hey, how you doing, man? Yeah, not bad. Yeah, you know, just life stuff classic dealing in uh in covid times yeah what well, talk about crazy times like part of the reason why i wanted to talk to you is just like how you kind of manage the fact that like your life got put on hold totally yeah it did huge effect on your future plans it really yeah it did it's hard not to like it, you know it's it's already a pretty privileged job that we're gunning for but it's definitely i mean other people have it way worse than us across like but yeah totally my plans and aspirations have all been put on hold and then they get keep getting reshuffled which is which is the really frustrating part yeah i've been seeing the same thing like with wanting to sign up for the level one operations and right now they've ditched all lodge-based operations and then the dates are like well, it's all provide your own accommodations, which is just so much more expensive. Yeah, and it, I think it really takes away from the experience. Like those lodge based ones are really cool. Like you're in the, you're in the field essentially. You walk out the door, right? Yeah, and that was kind of what I'd heard. That's what I was going for. And but yeah, for you guys, I mean, well, you especially. I mean, I guess you were like signed up for your final exam, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. So I signed up for the yeah. I had the apprentice exam for um, scheduled to be in March of. Uh, 2019 and I, I remember coming out of Soul Mountain Lodge there my last shift tail guiding and all excited and ready to go and we just started hearing about COVID and they're talking about shutting down the lodge like ah you know it's just everyone getting 
excited for nothing. And sure enough, I got out of the lodge March 15th. And I think I got a call or an email from the ACMG March 17th. They're like, it's not happening. And then Parker school was canceled as well. So I went from like, and I just finished my level two last winter. I did like mod two and three, my three modules with the ACMG. And I was just going into my exam. I was just like 100% running and then to the couch, you know, (laughs) And I don't know what it was like for you guys this spring, but I'm sure it was similar. Like the snow just didn't leave, right? So we just couldn't go anywhere, do anything. Yeah. And like, I know like for you, you're like, I'm not in the industry, but I wanted to heed those warnings and and follow the rules. Like a lot of my buddies still kept at it, but I was like, you know what? It's the mountains are going anywhere, but it was really hard. Cause yeah, the snow was just the best season, the best season so far oh oh what a spring i think um yeah to be perfectly honest if i didn't have to you know provide full-time childcare, i probably would have been one of the ones poking my nose out a little bit for a while at least until until kind of everyone was like hey like all of you guys need to start pumping the brakes and i think avalanche canada actually did a really good job like just taking everything down taking down the min um and even the acmg um for new applicants into the program, they decided that they weren't, if you had any experience after March 15th or whatever it was, or April 1st, 2019, it wasn't going to count. Right. You know, so they're like, just stay home. It doesn't matter. So. Mm -hmm. That was kind of our thought too. I was like, you know, like once the, once they took down the man and put, put out the bulletin saying, you know what, just, just don't. And you're like, it makes a lot of sense. And you know, it, it, it comes down to, um, I think I told Caleb this, the, the fellow that runs this podcast, I said, you know, the days that I've been involved in an incident, I didn't wake up that morning being like, you know what I'm going to do today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get out an avalanche. Yeah, I'm going like, to spice up my day. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to make some poor life choices. <laughs> and so that was my thought. I was like, you know, I've been fortunate enough not to be in that situation lately, but, but yeah, so I'll give you a little bit of background to how this all came about. Like um, for me, I, I, uh, I reached out to Caleb. I don't know if you listen to podcasts at all, or if you've ever checked out the avalanche hour podcast. Yeah, I'm a new podcast listener. I'm like, I'm like, it's pretty, it's kind of taken over all my free time, which is awesome. Um, and I have checked out, I, I t- listened to a couple episodes. So I knew what I was getting into. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So mm-hmm. basically I was doing research cause I'd, come up with this brilliant idea to have this podcast where I'd interview uh, potential professionals and recreationalists and talk about their paths or anytime they've had any kind of, you know, incident or whatever. So I was doing some market research as you should. And I came across (laughs) Caleb's podcast and I was like, Oh, well he's already doing this. So I'd reached out to him and anyways, we had a, a quick chat and then he said, Hey, yeah, man, like if, if you've got some connections or anybody that you think, would be, you know, like a cool guest. You're more than welcome to take a stab at, uh, you know, doing an interview and, you know, we'll, we'll throw it up on the podcast if it all works out. So when I had my plan, I had, you know, a handful of people in mind and you were one of them because of your coming into it. And yeah. And like, we already mm-hmm. touched a little bit on that, but maybe like um, from the podcast standpoint, I know a little bit about you because we're both from Northern Ontario. We, we both, skied freestyle in Northern Ontario and, and have probably at some point crossed paths and not, 
<laughs> not, Probably, yeah. Not really even <laughs> known crazy. it, perhaps even competed against each other unknowingly. But uh, <laughs> but anyways, if you want to just give me like a, a quick uh, rundown of your background and any of your current like accreditations that you have in the avalanche industry. Yeah, sure. So, um, yes, yeah, so I've been skiing since probably since I was four years old and in a little town called Timmins, Ontario, which is, I'm sure no one knows where that is, but it's quite far north. Um, not really renowned for its skiing, but thankfully we did have a little 400 foot ski hill there. Um, definitely put me on a certain path in life. <clears throat> Don't know where I'd be without it, to be perfectly honest. Right. Well, I'd, I'd probably be a cop actually, which sounds awful now when I think about it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I grew up in the freestyle program just cause we didn't really have anything else. Um, twin tips came out and I thought it was the coolest thing. So, um, yeah, developed a freestyle program in Northern Ontario, went to college, came out West for one season or what was meant to be one season, never left. So, um, I worked in hospitality till I decided I was tired of watching people come in for their holidays and come skiing. And I thought maybe there'd be, you know, there's always, I've always thought, you know, it'd be really cool to be a ski guide one day, but uh, you know, I've got responsibilities or whatever. And just kind of all lined up. My wife and I had a conversation. She's like, well, if you're going to, we moved to Revelstoke from, from Canmore in Alberta. She's like, Hey, like if, if there's ever a time for you to do a career change, like seriously, like you should, you should just go for it. Like that's what you want to do. Um, so thankfully for that, cause we had at the time, um, my son would have been about two years old. We just bought a house. So we definitely had some, you know, um, some real, real responsibilities, some expensive daycare bills and that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, so just kind of went for it. And then, uh, I went up to Soul Mountain Lodge, um, for the first time for a, a lodge setup. And uh, I just asked the owner there, Aaron Cooperman, well, what do I got to do to, to do this? You know, and he kind of set it out for me. He's like, yeah, you need your level one. You need a wilderness first aid course. So I started there I took my first aid course and, and I had a job managing our local restaurant here and it's 20 hour wilderness first aid course. And they're like, Hey, we got some spots for the other 20 hour. You can get your, your full. And I went to my boss and I was like, Hey, look like it's really dead. Can I take these extra three days off? And she was like, no, you can't. And I was like, well, I am anyways, actually. So, <laughs> so I'm not asking. How it all, yeah. That's kind of how it went. And I was like, okay, decision made. Here we go. And, uh, took my wilderness first aid and then enrolled in the level one program the year after. And then since then, that's all I've done. I've ski toured, talked to the ACMG and they're like, you got a ski tour to, to get into the program. So that's what I did for four years straight. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. So they really put an emphasis at the ACMG on, on the ski touring aspect, right. Instead of the mechanized side of it. Totally. What they want to see you or what they want to see. Um, lots of time spent ski touring on your own, sort of like in a leadership role, if you will. So not like practicing or working with other guides in complex glaciated terrain. So that's what you got to do. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And I mean, you're in no better place to, to do that, that type of thing in Revelstoke, right? Like to be kind of in the muck of it. It's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, not only is there a lot of work in the area, but the terrain we have is just so varied and incredible. I mean, we have access to, you know, you can be on a glacier in two hours if, you, if you're in shape here. Um, and Rogers Pass is kind of gnarly. It's not really, you know, it's not a good place. Well, it's a great place to cut your teeth, but it's definitely a sharp learning curve. 
Yeah, I would imagine. I would imagine. Plus the population, the amount of people there. How do you find that when you're out recreating there? Like, do you find that you feel that you take on a responsibility if you see something that somebody shouldn't be doing or, or you just distance yourself from that group if you see something going on? That is a, that's a tough question to answer. We, we, we talk about that a lot. It's like, at what point do you take responsibility or try to babysit, you know, the, the public here? I, certainly, as the years have progressed in Revelstoke, you see a lot of things in the Revelstoke slack country um, off the ski resort. And that's, it's kind of a hard one to do. So I think if you can do it kind of amicably and, and try to, you know, if, if it comes out organically, you can kind of give some people some, some tips or some feedback. But I, generally speaking, I'm not one to yell at some guy and be like, hey, what the heck are you doing up there? Like, well, what are you doing? You know, like, um, yeah, I don't, I don't try to insert myself into that. But I, if there is a teachable moment, like, not, you don't want to come off as the, as the, the alpha, I know everything kind of guy. But yeah, it's nice to just say, hey, like, what about this? You know, would you consider maybe doing that? Cause we got this going on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The reason why I asked that question is, you know, for us up here in the caribou, we're lucky. Like we don't have busy zones. It's uh, very mm-hmm. seldom that we're out touring and we end up coming across people that aren't within our group. So you never have that. You're traversing across something and you look up and all of a sudden you're like, Holy cow, there's people skinning right, <laughs> right above us. Right. So I was just always been curious about how, how people manage that in those busier areas. And, you know, what the, what the approach is. And yeah, I, I will say <clears throat> we did, uh, I, with the ACMG, there's a course, the ski touring component and it was based in Whistler and a large consideration for opening terrain or if terrain was in our morning meeting would become an open run was based on how many people either had been through that terrain or are they being a hazard for you? And, and Revelstoke is getting busier, but it's not anywhere near that level. But that was that was a complete shock. Where this, con- yeah, it was a consideration. You know, like a, people can literally fall down and hit you, or like they can slough you out, or whatever. Or if there had been X amount of people, then that run would be open to guiding, for example. And then you could ski it because you've had, you know, twenty-two um, testers, if you will, avalanche poodles down before you. Then it's probably okay. <laughs> and and that's le- legitimately a. a a thought when you're opening up terrain for guiding, which is, <laughs> I thought was pretty crazy. And that's, but that's pretty unique to Whistler. So Revelstoke's getting busy. Sometimes you got to look up, you got to look up or where you're going or you get onto a line, there's a boot pack. It's like, oh, okay, well, there's a group there. So we'll, we'll give that a miss. But I've actually run into more of that in the Rockies than I have oh, in really? Revelstoke. Oh. Yeah. So the Rockies are really starting to come up. So now you're getting to these lines where you're kind of trying to get up a little bit earlier than the next group. So you can get on the boot pack before them. Right. Right. That's <laughs> wild. Yeah. Cause I do see like, I follow you on Instagram and, and uh, I see you spent right before COVID hit, you were spending a lot of time doing a lot of your glacier work seemed like in, in, in the Rockies. And yeah, totally. Spent a lot of time mountaineering and working on your rope skills up, up in that area. Mm-hmm. so that brings, yeah that sorry yeah go ahead oh, i was just gonna say like the rockies in the springtime there's there's almost nothing better i mean if you want to go and do some big mountaineering objectives and and go hang out in some cool places on some cool uh some big ice that's, that's definitely the place then yeah, that made me think of one of the other things because again like from instagram i see like you're you're pretty heavy into rock climbing was that something that you started at a young age or was that something you picked up after moving out west Oh no. Yeah, no, that was definitely, that's pretty recent for me. It's been a lot, maybe four years and I spent the first three years terrified. I'm completely scared of heights. 
Um, so, which is kind of funny. Um, but yeah, so I, I really enjoy, it's just fun being scared, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no rock climbing is kind of a new thing, but it was definitely kind of intentional. I'd be like, okay. Um, it's, it's really good. The, the skills are transferable to, um, what you do in the mountains. And at the end of the day, those systems are really important when you're doing either mountaineering, whether there's snow involved or not. Um, you know, I just, the, the basics of anchor building, um, rope management, um, all the, you know, rescue scenarios, ascending ropes, all that stuff is really transferable. So that's, it's been really great. So now I have more of a, a fun way to practice those skills rather than being a chore. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I wondered is whether or not you, you had kind of chosen to, to make it into a, a hobby to try to assist with, you know, rope skills. Cause it's not something us Northern Ontarioers would, would have grown up with is, is having that. I don't think, uh, if you're like me, I don't think the first in, indoor climbing gym showed up in Newmarket until I was in high school and that was all you got. And then if you wanted to actually rock climb, you had to go down into the States and so on and so forth. So yeah, I was really interested to see how that worked. And then now, did you take your level one in Whistler? I actually took my level one in Revelstoke, luckily enough. It was one of the only courses with the CA that I got to take in Revelstoke. Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a cheap option, right? When you live there. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. And it definitely set the tone incorrectly for the rest of my education. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit more relaxed that way. Yeah. 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 So what course was it that you were doing in Whistler? Was that, that was an ACMG course? Yeah, that was an ACMG course. It was a uh, ski touring component. There's three components. There's a rope, there's an alpine skills one, which is basically all rope based for the most part. And then you have a uh, mechanized course, which is what it sounds like. It was great. We got to go to CMH for a week and go uh, learn how to heli ski guide. Kind of a lot of us have experience in those kinds of things, but to be in the front seat and driving the show, um, they kind of very briefly introduce us to that. And then, and then the third one is a ski touring course. So what they try to do is they, they get you, um, mm -hmm you know um up tracking um they get you out on glaciers they get you to do like lowers and and raises and crass rescue and they kind of piece it all together um which is basically what your exam is going to be like i i assume i haven't taken one but <laughs> that's pretty much what it's going to be like <laughs> yeah right yeah cool right on right on yeah and so i mean we kind of touched on it a bit when we first started talking it's a tough question to ask i think but you often think, well, you don't want to say, what do you think you made a bad choice with your career? But, but really like uh, in this particular climate where you basically had the rug pulled out from underneath you, how did you manage like the mental health aspect of that and maintaining a positive attitude regarding the fact that basically your progress in your career was just halted? Yeah. So um, yeah, that's a great question. So to be perfectly honest, I'd have to say for the first month, I, I wasn't, it wasn't good. Um, I was, I was really crushed, um, mostly just because I, I don't know if it's just a change of pace or I, but I was basically 100% flat out running for four or five months, just slamming through all these courses and exams, training and working full time as well. Um, and then it was really frustrating. I, I you know, I, I missed my son's birthday this year cause I was on an exam, you know, um, all to make this kind of happen as quickly as possible. 
Um, so that was really tough. So it all kind of came screeching to a halt and didn't really know what I was going to do. And I had all these plans for next year. I had commitments with operators that I was going to guide for. Um, and I, you know, I just some life plans. Like there's a huge, <laughs> you make a lot more money when you're actually guiding versus tail guiding. So um, all that kind of got put on hold. So um, yeah, the first month actually, to be perfectly honest, I wasn't, uh, I was, I was pretty grumpy. Um, but, you know, I, I very fortunate to live where we are in Revelstoke here. So um, I got kind of just took a step back and instead of focusing on the things I can't do, like, okay, so I'm going to spend all this time with my son instead. Um, there's going to be no daycare this summer. So we're just going to, we're going to hang out and we're going to go camping and we're going to, we're going to ride our bikes and, and just, we're just going to have a, we're just going to hang out and that's okay. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of what we did. So we've just been hanging out all summer. I've been working very part-time yeah. um, throughout the summer. And, and, uh, and yeah, so that's actually been really nice, actually. So in the, at first, I thought it was going to be this kind of devastating black cloud over my whole summer. But um, it's been awesome. When I don't think I'll ever get a whole summer off with my, my son again. So it's been pretty great. Yeah, blessing in disguise almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's cool. not what I intended, but, and it definitely complicates things for next season, but, uh, yeah. So, yeah, every, the, yeah. I mean, and who knows, like, I, I mean, we're not really even sure. I mean, everybody's kind of got to enter this season as you're experiencing right now with Parker and having to do a COVID test is <laughs> we don't really know what the future holds as flu season starts to ramp up in British Columbia and, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's a really good point. I think I'll just, I'll just kind of add, like, um, I just went to a staff orientation for, because I work at Soul Mountain Lodge here in the winters. And uh, that's a big part of our program this year is just trying to offer, a, offer some skiing, um, safe accommodation for people, but also um, kind of a safety net for us guides. So if we get the sniffles, you know, two days before we go into the lodge, we need to <laughs> take a step back and, and be real about it and take this seriously and say, Hey, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not getting on the helicopter tomorrow. You need to find someone else. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It almost adds like a whole new risk and responsibility for the guides and, and the employees that, that work within these facilities. You know, you think, okay, well now I got to worry about when I'm leaving, I got to check my ego at the door mm-hmm. and my bankroll. Because if I'm totally. staying home, I'm not making money, but I could mm-hmm. be putting other people at risk. That's super commendable for, you know, it, we'll see, like hopefully it, it stays strong throughout all the operations in, in British Columbia that they all kind of have the same, the same thing. You know, you'd like to think as a guest that the people that you're entrusting and making the decisions for you, that they'll also make that decision regarding their, their health. Yeah. So that's all we can ask is that, you know, we're, we're going to realistically look at it and be like, Hey, if I have to sit on a shift, which is, which is a big chunk of change for us for sure. And the season is short um, that we expect the guests to do that too. Hey, you can come back next year on your ski holiday. They'll still be powder. You know, you can, you can just come then keep me and my family safe. You know? I, in the lodge situation, it's different, right? It's than it is when you're just out on the skin track. So maybe we could talk a little bit about that if you don't mind, just if it's okay to kind of share like how you guys are going to be handling this season from a germ management perspective. Yeah. You mean like at uh, the lodge? Yeah. Yeah, which is great because I'm just off our, uh, we, we had a, a staff orientation. So, I mean, things are definitely taken very seriously up there to keep everyone safe. 
Um, so essentially, it, we'll be following the provincial guidelines. Um, so whenever we can't maintain social distancing, we'll be, we'll be masking up. Um, and then outside on the skin track, you know, um, you wouldn't step on someone's skis, right? So just try to give somebody that kind of spacing and it's going to be fine. So um, no sharing water bottles, that kind of thing. So if a guest is thirsty, he's on his own this time. Um, you know, but there's these little things that we're trying to keep people outside of the lodge. And so, uh, so when you arrive, we you know we're, we're, it's still a working plan, but you know, maybe we have your lunches outside and we just go skiing that day. We'll do your avalanche briefing and, and we'll deal with your luggage later. So at the end of the day, I think the, the plan is to have more people outside. So I think it's just going to equate to more skiing. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's a cool approach. Mm-hmm. That's a cool approach. So then, um, I, got a, I think I just got a couple more canned questions, but this is one I stole off of another audio nerd podcast I listen to. And it talks a lot about work-life balance. And, uh, you know, you work in an industry where you end up having to be away from home for prolonged periods of time. How do you manage that work-life balance with your family and, and making sure that uh, you're able to maintain those relationships? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great question. So it's definitely tougher <laughs> It's definitely tougher when you have when you have kids. Um, luckily, where I work at mostly has um, Wi-Fi um, nowadays, so we could you can still touch it, touch base, and you don't feel too detached or like you're missing out too much, uh, which is great. Um, but I, I I used to work, um, you know, a salaried hospitality management position in a twenty-four hour business. I would you'd be working, you know, 12 to 14 hours a day on the weekends and at night. So now at least if I'm away for two weeks um, and my employer is great about giving me time off um, and when I'm home, I'm, I'm present and I'm home, you know? Um, so I think that the, the time spent at home is actually probably better. Um, even though there's, there's big interruptions there. Um, so I kind of value that. So when I'm home, I'm home. Uh, these last couple of years are, been a little bit tougher because and I, I have to thank my wife for this and uh, and her patience because especially these last couple of years is you, you come home off your shift and if you've been through the guiding programs um, you know you come home from work and the next day you dry out your staff the day after that you're out training so you're you're up at five o'clock in the morning and you're on the skin track and you're you're trying to climb these peaks and you're taking the ropes out and and so that part has actually been quite difficult. So um, then you add in the whole avalanche education side simultaneously with the guiding side. Um, so that this year, um, yeah, it actually has been quite a struggle. I mean, just um, I think in 2020, up until March 15th, I'd been home for four nights um, total, you know. So, um, so that, was, that was quite tough. Um, but the intent is um, eventually that I'll work shift work and I'll be gone for two weeks and I'll be more or less back for two weeks and maybe I'll do some day guiding or some avalanche teaching uh, AST courses then, but I'll be at home, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. you know, I think often when you're on the outside looking in, you think, oh, they live this luxurious lifestyle, but then you always think to like, for me, fortunately, I've, I've worked a a job where I was away for eight days at a time. So I always knew that was one of the big pushes to trying to get that stability. And uh, what then when you're in the midst of your training, you sounds like you just actually don't shut it off. You know, you're, you're working and then you come home and you're basically still working because you're trying to, you know, keep your hours up and keep your training up and, and make, make sure you're studying and, 
and making the time for that. But it's it's good. I mean, it's see we can see it from from your Instagram stories that the family connection is definitely, you know, working well. And and you know, I'm sure there's some some people that probably might not work so great for, but it's so inspiring to see uh, to watch the progression, to watch the progression. Uh, you as a coach probably remember it. And myself as a coach, when I coached in Ontario, it's the same thing when you watching people progress, whether you're involved in it or not, is just such an amazing, amazing thing. Oh, that's really cool. I, I didn't really think about it that way, but yeah, I guess it, it is fun to, cause I, I watch other people go through whatever, whatever development they're going through in life. And I, I have a similar feeling to you, but I just, now that I think about it, I, I kind of feel like I've been stuck in the same kind of, Oh, I'm just trying to be a ski guide thing. But yeah, things are definitely progressing and changing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Cool, man. Cool. Now that sort of brings into another little side note on that. Like how do you find like social media is having an impact in the current recreation situation you find any changes in people's behavior or anything like that yeah so i've got i've got a pretty strong opinion on social media just in general um uh, it's this it's this terrible addiction that we have to being constantly stimulated but it does have a huge factor i think on decision making in the backcountry everyone is trying to play up this persona constantly that they're super rad or getting after it or um so i I think it does like unequivocally play a negative impact on decision making in the backcountry um you'll see somebody on let's say uh, death couloir on perfect perfect stable conditions and something will change in the next 48 hours and somebody who comes in with it's not quite in tuned in that world and won't realize the sudden, the subtle changes, either it's a, a, you know, a temperature rise or, you know, for like 24 hours or, or something's changed. They don't recognize that. And they're like, Oh, I can still like, still see the dude's tracks. Like this is fine. And then they go and they get themselves into an accident. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, so that, that I think is, is a big problem. And people tend to, it's kind of this remote, competitiveness that people have where they kind of see other people doing stuff like, well, I can do that or I can do it like kind of a little bit better. Or I, I can, I can get a little, little bit more out there on the snowfall zone or I'm, I'm going to do that, that technical peak or I, I kind of see that a lot. And it's, it's kind of funny. So I've kind of taken a, like I said, I'm not the guy who yells, Hey, don't do that outside, but I've definitely taken it a few times on social media platforms to address people doing things. I'm like, oh, okay, like pump the brakes, man. Like, why are you doing this? Like really think it through. Like, cause I, in my opinion, that was probably not the right call, you know? Right. Um, I can think of, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a few, there's one, one in particular, I'm not going to name any names, but somebody was um, trying to decide if they were going to ski, um, it was, it's a cool art called STS cool art Rogers pass. Um, it was an event, it was, um, a line that gets key quite often, but was also, um, a, a, there's, there's a big, um, a big event that happened, um, in the year 2000s, um, a school basically got creamed at the bottom of that thing. So it's, it's quite, it's quite well known. I get ski quite often. So there's this, this, um, this group that we're getting ready to ski it. And there's another line called Nikki's notch is kind of right next door. And uh, they wanted to get in snowpack information, which was good. Um, that's good instincts to do that, 
to figure out what the conditions might be like in SCS. They got similar aspects and kind of similar thing. But what they've done is they got into this Nikki's Notch line, which is quite steep, chokes in, jumped right into the middle of the face and dug a profile. Three people in it. I'm like, well, you guys have already committed yourself to that slope for an extended period of time. Like, what did, what did you really achieve here? You know, um, just, just for example. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. And they thought they were doing good. And this particular Instagram account tends to be one of those educational um, Instagram accounts that like to give people information and stuff. So it can be really dangerous if you don't, you know, the quality of information you're getting from these Instagram accounts that teach you these pro tips or backcountry tips. They're not always good. You know, it's not always, they're not always at the experience level where they maybe they should yeah, be. Right. That's a solid point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, Cause you know, we all, we all want to help out and we all want to contribute. I think the mountain information network is such a great, a great tool. And I don't know if you guys get it down there in, in Revelstoke. I know here in Williams Lake, people don't like to post to it. And I know some of the older people that, that get to get out and do profiles. They're not in gnarly spots. They're generally terrain, but they get, um, they get accosted from the, from some of the locals for posting the stashes and stuff like that. Do you find that you get um, that type of backlash for any kind of observations that get posted in the Revelstoke area and the mountain information network? Um, I I certainly don't feel that way. Um, I guess there's not a whole lot of stashes left in Revelstoke, I guess, if you will, like Rogers pass has got a full guidebook. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say they have a guidebook, so there's no real stashes. No, and it's amazing. I mean, there's there's definitely some places in Revelstoke that the locals go skiing that are you can't find online, which I think is great, and I'll let people discover those for themselves. But um, if you look on the min, you'll find um, reports from these places if you just pay attention to where the drops are. I honestly think that it's better to get the information out, and even if you want to fudge your your, your, your geotag, if you will, um, then that's fine. But I think it's really important that we get that information out to the forecasters. They, they really value that information. And I think that's a little bit more important than blowing out the spot personally. Yeah. And that's, that's the approach I've had with, with the locals here. And I've, I've mentioned the same thing. And so I did it a couple of times where it was pretty pinned. And then after that, I was like, you know, I'll compromise. I think it's still important for the same reasons you do to get that information out. And the people that I ski with and myself included, like I'm not a professional, but sometimes it's just a weather op and that could be enough to help. Even if it's, you know, and and pictures were worth a thousand words. So even if I can't specifically describe what's happening, at least I can get close with the result, whether it's a compression test or extended column test. And, And that information in areas where there's no operations which is a lot of the places we ski, there's no professional operations here. So a lot of our data is extrapolated from like Blue River and, and the other side of the Caribou Mountain Range. And it can be quite different than what we have over here. You know, if we're getting reports that are based off of Wigglies, it's a completely different climate. <laughs> no, I think that's that's a really good point. Like I think about you guys up there and I'm like, man, I would feel really naked out there and vulnerable, you know, just not having the information. I mean, um, I mean, we live in Revelstoke. We have tons of operators around, really good information coming in daily. We have all kinds of telemetry and the you know, Avalanche forecast, uh, like Avalanche Canada is here in Revelstoke. All the forecasters sit in an office here, you know. Exactly. Um, 
third, like the, I, one of the forecasters, I can see his house from here. Um, you know, like it's, it's, I would definitely feel, um, <laughs> definitely, uh, I'd be feeling with all my resources if I lived in a remote area like that. So, but again, like just, just to bring back to your point, if, if it, especially in the age of social media and these inflated egos, people tend to feel, um, you know, self-conscious about posting things online sometimes. Um, we, we all do. I definitely feel that way as well sometimes, but you don't worry about the fancy terms or anything like that. Like you say, Hey, like it was moist snow and we were ski cutting avalanches constantly, or there was a bunch of wind here. And like you said, photos, like you can just dig a profile and if you could just identify the layers and post that online, that's, that's awesome for someone. They can look at that and basically be able to figure out what it is. And even if you're compression tests, and we know that compression tests, the loading phases are not what's important. You know, it's, it's, is it a sudden planer? Is it, you know, was it resistant planer? You can see that in a photo. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, exactly. um, so I, so you, I think you're absolutely right. So if I would encourage people, whether they want to geotag it or not, remain anonymous or not. Um, if you're digging profiles out there, you have some some observations. Put them up. I, I look at them all the time, like just personally. Like even if there's there's, I look at professional um, um, my weather products, and and I get access to something called the InfoX, which is a professional sharing network. I still look at, I'll still go and um, and, and look at them in because there's some really good information out there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's, that's kind of the way we're looking at it too. We're lucky enough now, like uh, Silvertip does, does run out of uh, the, the East Arm of Quinell Lake, uh, the heli ski operation. So I, I can only assume that they're posting to InfoX and that information might help forecasters in our area. But when uh, you don't have access to that, when you're not a professional, so we, we don't get to see that information. But it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's, um, it's that old guard and, uh, yeah, but yeah, I was just curious to see and, and yeah, yeah. Talking about the social, um, media side of things, you know, it was just interesting. It made me think of it because we're both quite active on, on social media, me more so in the winter time. I, I do like to share my adventures and, and, um, uh, I mean, you saw, you've seen, uh, one of the, my biggest life changing events. You've seen the pictures from that. I believe you commented on it and, and, uh, you know, my life changed after that day. I've made a, a conscious choice to never put myself or any of my, my ski partners in that position ever again. And uh, so that brings me kind of to my next question is if there's any experiences or, or stories you'd be comfortable sharing about potential things that may have changed your, your behavior in the backcountry in the past. Yeah, I have, um, I have one story. Um, thank you. It wasn't myself involved. Um, so I've been fortunate. I've, I've never been buried or, or really taken for any really serious rides or anything like that, despite my time in the backcountry. And that, and that's basically because I'm, I'm a firm believer in baby steps and I'm a, I'm a bit of a, I'm pretty conservative out there, despite what um, you may see on my, on my social media as well. Um, I usually tiptoe into things, but um, yeah, so it was uh, 2000 and 2014. Um, I was out snowmobiling in Invermere um, Paradise Basin and um, was out ski touring. <laughs> I, was out, I was out sledding mostly with a guy that I met online I'd never met before. He did not have an AST. Um, Avalanche Hazard in uh, that day was, um, was high and we had a bunch of fresh snow. It was quite warm. Um, so based on that, 
I had an AST at the time, no first aid. Um, we were just happy to just sled around the flats, you know, that was going to be good enough for us. Um, there is a group of two snowmobiling. Um, they were locals in the area. Um, and they did, they were, you can see that they were, and I'm not trying to put any blame on anyone, but, uh, you know, you can see them start tiptoeing out into bigger terrain throughout the day and, and the sun was out and there's snowballing and we had a, a hefty storm slab and, uh, they started high marking the slope and eventually, um, you know, we were watching, we were having lunch and, uh, I remember making a stupid comment and it really sat with me for a while. I was like, Oh, well maybe we'll get to, you know, practice our digging today and not 30 seconds later, you know, size two, size two and a half, um, completely cream this party and, uh, kind of came down a slope. There was a bench and a flat spot. Um, and then I lost, we lost visual of the one snowmobiler when I went over the roll and there's a bit of a powder cloud and then we can see one person on top and we were, there's one missing. Um, so we were able to um, initiate a, a companion rescue, but it was me with an AST1 um, feeling pretty green. And then um, buddy I met online who didn't have an AST. So all of a sudden I was in a leadership role way above my head. Um, but we managed to, um, to kind of get there kind of get a signal and thankfully there's Toby Creek Adventures. One of their guides was there and he showed up a couple minutes later, just happened to be looking out the cabin window and saw this thing happen. So he was able to organize us. Um, so he was able to direct us. We got kind of a, we got into our, our fine search. We got a probe strike, um, but it was almost, it was almost two meters deep. Um, and we were in the flats. So, uh, yeah, it was kind of surreal. I just remember it still being super quiet out and it was still a bluebird day and you could still like, you could still hear birds chirping and it kind of happened really fast. And, I, and the thing that's take home is that moving around, we were able to snowmobile up to the avalanche debris, which was quite far away, which thankfully we had snowmobiles, but walking around in fresh avalanche debris is pretty difficult. And we got, I got, I got tired right away uh, before I even started digging to be perfectly honest. Um, and then the digging took some time. So, uh, I think I felt like it took like hours to be perfectly honest, but uh, because I have access to the InfoX, I was able to go back recently and go take a look. And uh, there's a commercial operator called RK Heli Skiing that was there and was able to kind of take a look at the avalanche incident provided by professionals after the fact, because it's all recorded on a database. It took us about 15 to 20 minutes, I think, to get um, 15 minutes, I think, to get an airway. Um, but that guy was unconscious. Um, he was a big dude. So, um, again, the guy from Toby Creek had everything and he had oxygen in his backpack, like perfect case scenario, like perfect, perfect scenario. Um, so I was able to kind of, uh, get him breathing again after a short while. And it took a long time just to get enough snow off, um, to kind of free up this individual down there. Um, and then, yeah, then, then our K helicopter showed off and we just basically got shoot away and said, hey, just be on Avalanche. They gave us a job, which is great, just to keep us kind of busy and kind of let the professionals work. Um, but that was heavy. I mean, I'd, I didn't know this guy. And then the helicopter flew away, and I'd buried my backpack, which is a pro tip if you're going to start digging, to put your backpack in a good spot where you're going to need it after, not right behind you. Um, but, yeah, the helicopter flew away. Um, we didn't know that person's condition. I drove, couldn't find my backpack went down to my vehicle and I remember sitting there 
and that this guy had to go back to work. The guy I just met, I mean, we didn't really have a friendship or anything. So he's like, Hey, I got to go. I was like, yeah, it's fine. Someone's going to drive me out my keys. And I remember just sitting there for like four hours by myself and I was just crushed. I was just like, this is, this is one of the more traumatizing things that ever happened to me. Wow. This guy was blue when we dug him up, you know? And, and, um, uh, I, I just had no idea. I remember going into Toby Creek. I was like, Hey, can I use your phone? Cause my phone was in my backpack and I had to try to call my, my wife at the, to get me some keys out in Vermeer. I lived in Canmore at the time. And uh, yeah, that was, that was the hardest part. I just didn't really realize how much it affected me. And then we found out later on that, um, you know, this guy was, might not make it. Um, he did end up living and surviving, but I don't think that his quality of life is what it used to be. I, I think oh, wow. he's still got some issues. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's kind of, you know, um, and then if I could just plug anything for anyone who goes through these events, um, I was 24 at the time, just trying to be a total tough guy, but that, that definitely bothered me for like six months to a year after, you know, I didn't probably should have, um, yeah, I probably should have reached out and just talked about it with somebody anyways. Mm -hmm. I had some people that reached out and I was like, oh no, it's fine. But yeah, definitely those, those events can be hard. And, um, those resources might not come out and try to, they won't, they won't extend themselves to you. So I guess if anyone's listening, like if you have a friend that's been in a, an event like that, like either reach out or, or maybe try to get some services kind of, kind of to those people. Cause it could definitely, could definitely be uh, pretty hard to live with for, for a little while after that, for sure. Yeah, no doubt. And that was, mm. it, that's, uh, thanks so much for sharing that story. That's, that's an, that's an amazing story. Um, it's it's great to know that you know that he did survive um unfortunate that he's not 100 percent at his quality of life but um you know it's commend you and 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 your random online friend for for <laughs> saving somebody's life how, how do you think did that at all influence you to want to continue into becoming an avalanche professional yourself um at that time i i was so focused on just becoming this uh, hospitality guru that it wasn't really on my radar. But um, cause I, you know, I thought that was going to be a good job at the time, you know, and what's a good job. It's a job you hate that pays well. Right. Um, but um, yeah, no, it definitely, it, it, I took that whole season, the rest of the season off. I didn't go skiing. Um, and, but that definitely set the tone for me right away. It's not like a lot of people will go through, they're out their early avalanche years thinking, you know, just like everything else, it's like, Oh yeah, people get caught in avalanches, but, but not me, you know? Um, so being a part of that was huge in my development. Actually, I seen firsthand what the consequences are. I knew how much of an impact being part of a rescue can be on somebody, even if you didn't know the person, like imagine if it was a friend or a family member, it would just be exponentially worse. Um, so it's serious. I mean, yeah, we're all out there to have fun and it's goofy and it's skiing and it's really fun, but there's some real consequences to the things that we do out there. So it's good to take those things seriously. I mean, yeah, just cause it's blue pow and sunny does not mean that you're going to get to go home if you don't pay attention to the signs out there. Yeah, exactly. Wow. That's a really good point. You know, and I, I think that's a point that gets echoed quite frequently whenever you listen to people's stories and, and listen to other professionals, like, yeah, that's a, that's a super hairy story. Um, it, I, I can see like, it still, it still affects you now and it, and it, it affects you now so much that, um, 
that you did actually go back and look uh, out of curiosity at the InfoX and at the report. And I think that's important. I think it's, uh, you know, I commend you for, for taking the time even years later to go back and reflect on, on that. And now with the knowledge that you have now have a better understanding perhaps of what the causes were and, and what the results were of, of you guys being able to be there so quickly. That's super cool. Yeah, that was, it, it was really good for me just like, uh, for my peace of mind. Cause I, it felt like I had no idea how long all that all took. And, uh, it was just nice to go there and see, like, if you, if you asked me before I read the report, I said it would have taken 45 minutes to get an airway, but you know, right. it was really like 15 minutes, you know, which is pretty good. And again, I can't, um, the, the Toby Kirk guide who was there, I mean, if it wasn't for him, it would have been a completely different scenario, 100%. And that was the other thing, the big take home is just because you have an AST course <clears throat> doesn't mean you're going to know what to do after you bury your friend, after you, after you unbury your friend, you know, once you dig them up, like you still have things to do there. Yeah. Um, so um, I guess that's my other plug is if you take an AST, you need to take a first aid course. Yeah. It's not just okay to have an AST, you know? So. Yeah. Cause I think people often forget that part, right? They think, Oh, I've got a shovel, a probe and a beacon and I've got my AST one. I'm good to go. And, and then like quite often Amber uh, and I will drill ourselves and, and try to remind ourselves like the steps of CPR, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 you know, obviously we tried and you never want to get put in that position, but sometimes you don't even know, maybe it might not even be an avalanche incident. You know, the, it's a very, when you're ski touring the way that we do, it's a very strenuous activity. And, uh, I don't know about you, Kyle, but I'm not getting any younger. Yeah. And no, I'm not, that's <laughs> uh, not good. You know, you never, yeah, you, you never know. You <laughs> never know if you're, if you could have a heart attack or, or some kind of other respiratory. Or someone else could. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's just it. And that's my other thing too. Like I made good decisions that day but I still had to, I still had to respond, you know? Um, so even if it's, you know, even if you think that you're, well, I'm not going into this kind of terrain. It's really important just to be, not that we have a responsibility to be good partners to everybody, to the public out there. But um, I think that if we're going to be spending time in the backcountry, you do have a responsibility to meet a certain level of competency for sure. Yeah. Um, so I think that's an AST and I think that's a, that's a, you know, maybe a 20 hour wilderness first aid course. Yeah. I think. And, and that takes time and, and it's, you know, you, and, and everyone here, everyone's looking for these shortcuts nowadays, right? Everyone's a good skier already. The equipment's there. It's easy. You can be on top of death mountain. Like you, if you're fit and you can ski down death mountain and that's fine and you totally can, but there's a certain, there's certain steps you should take before you go in, into those adventures. So, yeah, no, and they take time and there's no shortcuts. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, in the digital age, everybody, you're right, is, is looking for a little bit of a shortcut. Um, oh, totally. Yeah. So we'll wrap up some of these podcast style questions and then um, let's get the story here on what happened with the bike crash. <laughs> Oh yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So, uh, I'm a new mountain biker. Um, I mean, I biked a lot as a kid. It was kind of my fun thing to do when I was like 15. Um, and that was awesome. But, um, anyways, I'm a new mountain bike, uh, rider and I've been slowly, uh, well, maybe not so slowly kind of building up my confidence 
And I was going way too fast by myself, like next to the, this is like classic scenario of things that go wrong. It was dark. I was far away. I was tired. Uh, and I was riding down a trail called Slow Down Revelstoke. It's pretty popular. And uh, came out of the forest. The conditions changed. And I, I totally wiped out in a crappy section. It was loose. I lost my front tire. I fell um, kind of my left side down, racked my whole body over some rocks, split my arm open, chunks of meat everywhere. Oh. Um, hit my hip, ripped my shirt, basically looked like I'd been mauled by a bear. Um, yeah, kind of by myself, like right before dark. So, um, so yeah, so I got some stitches, I got some x-rays, uh, luckily no broken bones, but uh, really hurt my shoulder. I still can't really rock climb. It's been almost a month now. Oh, brutal. Uh, went on my first bike ride the other day with my son. But um, yeah, I got a really bad infection. Um, I was able to squeeze pus out of my arm just by touching it. Pieces of gravel would come out. So um, I think that's the real dangerous sport here that we need to talk about is mountain biking. That's a, <laughs> it's a reckless sport. Yeah. I think rock climbing and skiing are pretty safe. Yeah, totally. You, <laughs> you crash and ski and it's generally pretty soft. I can't, I can't say like, uh, I mean, I've separated my shoulder, but that was back, you know, when you and I were smashing frozen moguls in Northern oh, yeah. Ontario, right? So, and we were still like jello then. You yeah. Know, you could still do that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I've had a broken wrist and broken ankles from mountain biking and, and whatnot. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. right on. Sorry, my phone's gonna die west yeah. so i'm just gonna grab a phone charger i'll be right back be right on man well i super appreciate you taking the time and and being the first one on this for me and and working out the kinks and dude we'll have to get together and uh and ski tour at some point like, well, that's just that's just it yeah like revelstoke you know like i'm i'm uh i'm here man like if i'm not uh if i'm not at work i'm here and i'm totally happy to just take people out and show them you know like it's kind of funny. It's uh, like my passion is guiding. It's not really just skiing. So like if I can show somebody around, show them a really good time, like I, I'm genuinely into that, you know? So don't be shy. Like if you're around, oh, yeah. I'm cool. gladly. I'll yeah, for sure. Cool. Right on, man. Okay. Thanks again, bud. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully uh, you guys will stay healthy there and uh, find some, some stuff with the family. So yeah, you uh, bet. Yeah. yeah. You guys too. Right on, man. Okay. Good luck, dude. Yeah. Don't, yeah, don't forget about daycare, hey? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, man. Take it easy. All right, see ya. What a great conversation with Kyle. Over this last weekend, I've had a chance to go out and see what's going on out there. We've had an interesting start to the season, with some big snowfalls followed by some serious warming. As a recreationalist in an area without a forecast center nearby, I feel there's great value in sharing your findings. If you're in Canada, head on over to avalanche.ca and share what you find in the Mountain Information Network. If you're elsewhere, look up your closest forecast centers and see what they have available. These reports help forecasters in areas where there may be data missing or can be used to supplement field data from their teams. Remember, a picture says a thousand words and there's no need to worry about technical terms. And we'd like to give a shout out to our generous supporters. MND Safety. Head on over to at TAS by MND and check out the pictures of the new system installed in the Bois de Sioux area of the French Alps to protect the altitude roads of Savoie. And of course, 10 Barrel Brewing. If you're hunting for that refreshing beverage after your I pray, head on over to 10barrel.com. Click on the beer finder to find the closest tasty 10 Barrel Brew. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, 
head on over to the website, theavalancheshower.com, to stay up to date on guests and offers. If you like the podcast, subscribe, rate, and drop us a review. Then maybe tell a friend, tell that friend to tell a friend. The music in the background is provided by my good friend, Chris Kaplinski. And of course, thanks to Mike T for the artwork. Don't forget to send us a screenshot of your subscription to the Avalanche Hour podcast at gmail.com for your chance to win a Primo Snow and Avalanche El Professional Saw. And head on over to primoavalanche.com and use the promo code TAH10 for 10% off at checkout. And until next time, stay tuned, stay safe, and keep having fun out there. <laughs>